Welcome to The Porch, an online community of believers committed to restoring the priesthood of the believer and regaining the world-shaking influence of the early church. The church age is still in effect. The day of Pentecost is ongoing. The fire of the upper room still burns. This is where we get back to basics, the red-letter basics, by examining the Word of God and the example of the Book of Acts Church to discover how the early church served the Lord. In doing so, we discovered the church the Lord intended and not the one that man created. The Porch on the Air since March of 2010 can only be heard on Firefall Talk Radio, which is a part of the Firefall Media Group. We're glad you're with us. To reach us click the contact button on the Firefall Talk Radio homepage at firefalltalkradio.com. If you want to support what we do there are ways to do that starting with the PayPal link at the bottom of the homepage. You can also use the Venmo app, which is easier to use and has fewer fees, where we can be found under at Firefall Media Group. One word. Uppercase on FMG. Thank you to each and every one of you who support what we do. We appreciate your support and encouragement. Give as the Lord leads. And now, to the Bible study with Richard Grund. First Chronicles 16.25 says, For the Lord is great and greatly to be praised. He is also to be feared above all gods. First Peter 2.9 says, But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Well, I praise him for my home, for my wife, my family, sons, daughter-in-laws, grandsons, furry kids, some of you call them pets, and all of the possessions he's given me. I praise him for provision and protection over each and every one of us, for the dreams and the visions of living out Joel 2.28, I praise him for his healing virtues that I believe are still available to us in accordance with his word. I praise him for his favor and divine revelation, for being a new creation and living in these prophetic times. I praise him for America, even with all of its signs and all of its problems and all the things that are going on. I still believe that we are in the greatest nation on the face of the earth. I don't know how long that will be, so let's enjoy it while we have it. I praise him for the signs he's giving us that he's ready to return. He's getting ready to return. When that'll be, I don't know. But I do know that the signs are all there, so let's get ready. Psalm 122, verse 6 says, Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they prosper who love you. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to pray. We're going to pray for the peace of Jerusalem, for its leaders, for the nation Israel. Once again, going through... Um, some tumultuous times politically. I want to pray for America. Boy, do I want to pray for America, but we don't have enough time. I have to do a Bible study. Uh, Pray for its leaders and its citizens, praying for guidance, uh, righteousness, justice, and evil to be exposed and be dealt with. It's not enough just to expose. It must be dealt with. I pray for the fatherless and the widows, the innocents, the victims of injustice, those in poor in spirit. I pray against the slaughter of the innocents, missing and exploited children, victims of sex trafficking, human trafficking, that ugly, diabolical, satanic enterprise that has been going on for thousands of years. I pray for our brothers and sisters around the world being slaughtered and persecuted for their faith. 2,200 of God's children have been slaughtered in Nigeria alone in 2020. I pray against the religious persecution and anti-Semitism that's growing. The spirit of the Antichrist being more bold as time comes closer for the personal unveiling of the Antichrist. Pray for divine wholeness, health, and continued healing as each one of us get back to our divine design. Pray for healing in all who are injured or sick right now in heart, mind, body, soul, or spirit. Praying for protection over us, that Psalm 91 covering to hide us in the shadow of his wings. Praying for inspiration, 
for the fire of the Holy Spirit to rise up in each and every one of us, for the remnant to wake up, rise up, and answer the call to action. 2021 will be a time that we must act. Praying for those who have been called to bless would be a blessing. Praying for people that know about what we do here on the porch or Firefall or SRT, that the open doors of his blessings to fund the dreams, the visions, the missions, all the things that we'd like to do for the kingdom of God. And of course, praying for lost family members. That's the most important thing. I want to ask you to pray for a uh, brother in the Lord. His name is Giuseppe. He lives in Maryland. He needs prayer. He's suffering from severe migraines and residual pain after an operation on his mouth, and he's struggling. Uh, I want to praise the Lord for my wife's safe trip home, that she's here. And um, Kim in Fort Mitchell offers up um, praise the Lord that he saved her soul and wakes her up sober every day for the last four years. She praises him for her children, husband, family, friends, her dog Bruno, and all that he provides for them. Her husband lost his um, grandmother who raised him this week from complications from COVID. So she's asking for prayer. She said, Lord, it's hard to see my husband grieve after losing his grandmother who raised him. She's asking you, Father, to give him comfort and healing to the family. And I might add that you would use it to open their hearts to you. She says, ease the pain and help him through this. Protect us from the enemy, Father. Protect the porch, fam- the porch families. Praying for forgiveness, Father. Save souls. May every hidden thing be revealed. Be revealed. Help us to not step into the enemy's traps. Provide for us and come through for a financial blessing and favor us in Jesus' name. Well, Lord, you know all these things, but we come to you and we say it anyway. You are our Abba Father, Papa God. You are Dad. Boy, do we need you right now. We need that. We need to feel your presence. We need to know that you're there. I mean, we know that you're there, but we need to know that you're there. So touch each person listening right now. Speak into their hearts. Let them know. We thank you. Thank you for loving us when we were unlovable and for forgiving us when we need it for picking us up and dusting us off and getting us back on our feet. We thank you for Yeshua, for what he's done, the blood that was shed, the pain that was endured, the shame, everything that went with that he did for us because we were never going to be able to do it for ourselves. So we thank you for that right now. Thank you for touching our mortal bodies, quickening them, making us prepared to run and not grow weary, walk and not faint, to rise up with wings as eagles in this time. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for teaching us, walking with us, guiding us, correcting us. Do that tonight. Open our hearts and our minds to hear what needs to be heard. Bless this time. Bless the technology. Bless each and every one of us. I pray this in Yeshua's name. Amen. These lessons are proprietary information, except where noted the information comes from outside sources. The combination of that information, the matter presented, is exclusive, cannot be repeated or used without permission. The date of this broadcast serves as the registered date of the following information. I still feel led to begin with Matthew 6, starting with verse 9. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Well, we were talking about kingdom wars, but we're going to take that in a new direction. We're entering into a new year. 
And I know everybody's saying, oh, I'm so glad to leave 2020, but the truth is, we have no idea what 2021 is going to bring. We're just entering into it by faith. And you know, everybody has their uh, resolutions and the things they're going to do and what they claim and what they believe. And I know for many, it's a belief of entering into a promised land of blessings. Well, we should always believe that, no matter what's going on in the natural. But that's what we're going to talk about, entering the promised land. Now, that's going to take me a couple of weeks to get this done. I'll tell you that right up front, because there's a lot of information and a lot I want to share with you to take us back to understanding the kingdom more. Because basically what we're dealing with starts with the promised land. The promise of a homeland was made to Abraham and began to unfold through Moses and Joshua. Moses was taught and tried to get the people to understand that the land had been held in trust by God, but then given to his people as an inheritance, as a way to bring blessing into the land. But he also explained that disobedience brought judgment. That's one of the things that everybody seems to forget about the whole promised land concept. Yes, it's a gift from God, but it comes with conditions. People don't want to hear that. That doesn't fit the the message that tickles the ears. But we're going to cover that. I need you to understand so that we can better understand why we are where we are in the world right now, and especially in the church. So the covenant that God cut with Abram at that time, he was Abram. It wasn't even Abraham yet, Genesis 15 starting with verse 18, all of the verses 1 through 17, we really need to go back and look at sometimes because when God cut this covenant with Abram, he did it in such a way that only God was accountable for fulfilling the covenant. But in Genesis 15, verse 18, on that same day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram saying, to your descendants, I've given this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates. The Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Cadmonites, the Hittites, Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. He was giving them their land. But then in Deuteronomy 7, starting in verse 1, we find out one of the first conditions. When the Lord your God brings you into the land which you go to possess and has cast out many nations before you, the Hittites, the Girgashites, Amorites, Canaanites, the Perizzites, and the Hivites, and the Jebusites, seven nations greater than, mightier than you, and when the Lord your God delivers them over to you, you shall conquer them and utterly destroy them. You shall make no covenant with them, nor show mercy to them. Now, if you remember what we talked about in Genesis 6 and the the watchers and the Nephilim and their offspring and where they went, and I've casually mentioned, and I haven't laid it out for you yet, that their, their offspring and their demonic spirit wound up in Canaan. So this is the area that they're going to. But this is the promised land. God's covenant with Israel through Abraham. It's a gift. And this gift of the land. Land is very important to God. If you look at the Bible, and hopefully you do, if you look at it from Genesis to Revelation, there's two consistent themes. Blood and land. So, the gift of the land, this theme that starts in the Old Testament and actually goes all the way through Revelation, initially made to Abraham, spreads out through his descendants throughout the Bible. The the promises inherited by Isaac, by Jacob, by Joseph, and the rest of Jacob's sons. This land resembling the Eden that his children had lost would flow with milk and honey. A land occupied, the land of Canaan, occupied by a people that God wants destroyed. 
And we'll explain that. Why would a merciful, loving God do that? Walter Brueggemann, who wrote the book The Land, Place as Gift, Promise, and Challenge in Biblical Faith, said, this promise is first rooted in the land of Eden, but then they're expelled. And in the rest of Genesis, Israel lives towards a land of promise. So Eden was given by God to Adam and then his wife Eve. And because of their sin, because of their rebelliousness, they were expelled. As believers in Yeshua, we are given a new promised land to wait for that truly takes us back to the Garden of Eden. Something that is both natural and supernatural. But until then, we can learn from Israel's journey into a land of rest from their enemies. Boy, isn't that what we want right now? We want rest. We want a land of rest from our enemies, from the harassment of this world, from everything that's going on. And I'm believing he's going to deliver it. I'm believing he wants to give it to us, but he wants to underst- us to understand there are conditions, there are requirements. So he, t- he has told them, and I, I think I read it to you already in Genesis 15, he wants them to remove all of these people. Now forget, for over 400 years from the time of the covenant with Abraham to Moses, this, this concept is in their mind, it's in their heart. But he's always telling them, he's warning them. First, he's warning that he's going to punish the sinfulness of the Canaanites. Canaanites were pretty wicked people, and I don't mean like wicked, ah, wicked fast, or wicked good, like in Boston or New England. But I mean wicked, evil, vile. They, what they were doing based upon what was taught to them by the fallen, it, it, we can't even talk about it. We can infer it. We can do our best to get you to understand, but we really can't tell you. But just think about the most vile things going on on the earth today. And it was happening there. And it wasn't their land. They were squatters. This was land that God had promised to his children and is going to transfer the right of possession to Israel. So all of Israel's history can be observed through the lens of the land covenant. From Joshua's conquest to the uh, disputes and the uh, activity in Judges to the wars of the kings, the warnings of the prophets, the the exile, and then the rebuilding of the temple. Isn't it amazing that something so spiritual is so tangible? A chosen people, given a promised land as a divine inheritance. But there's a requirement. The first requirement is they must clean it up. That might be like me coming to you saying, Here's this big property, and that mansion up on the hill is yours. Oh, by the way, it's overrun with rats and rodents, and you got to clean it out, and you got to put it into shape, but it's yours for free. I think part of this requirement is traced back to the fact without man's sin in the garden, without the rebellion on Mount Hermon, There are no Canaanites. There's no sin in the land of promise. Man created it, and man must participate in cleaning it up. Exodus 3, verses 16 and 17. Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, The Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob, appeared to me, saying, of course, this is the Moses speaking, I have surely visited you and seen what is done to you in Egypt. And I have said I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt 
to the land of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites to a land flowing with milk and honey. We jump over to Exodus 33, starting verse 1. Then the Lord said to Moses, Depart and go up from here, you and the people whom you brought out of the land of Egypt, to the land which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, To your descendants I will give it. It's amazing. God is a God of his word. If he's given you a word, trust it. Verse 2, And I will send my angel before you, and I will drive out the Canaanite, and the Amorite, and the Hittite, and the Perizzite, and the Hivite, and the Jebusite. Go up to a land flowing with milk and honey. For I will not go up in your midst, lest I consume you on the way. For you are a stiff-necked people. He's saying, go up to a land of abundance, flowing with milk and honey, for I will not go up in your midst because you are a stiff-necked, stubborn, rebellious people, and I might destroy you on the way. A people that are naturally rebellious against the will of God, an accusation that Stephen levels against Israel in his defense and triggers Becoming a martyr in Acts 7.51, you stiff-necked and stubborn people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you're always actively resisting the Holy Spirit. You are doing just as your fathers did. And we know that that was about the point they picked up the stones and killed him. This is amazing. God loves them enough to fulfill the covenant, But he already knows, because he's outside of time and seen the end from the beginning, he knows what they're going to do. He knows their rebellious nature. And he gives them the land anyway. This is laid out in Deuteronomy 9. When Moses is talking to them and trying to get them to understand, do you understand the magnitude of, of what God is doing for you. Do not think in your heart after the Lord God has cast them out before you, saying, because of my righteousness, the Lord has brought me into possess the land. But it is because of the wickedness of these nations that the Lord is driving them out before you. It is not because of your righteousness or uprightness of heart that you go in to possess their land, but because of the wickedness of these nations that the Lord God drives them out from before you, that he may fulfill the word which the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Therefore understand that the Lord your God is not giving you this good land to possess because of your righteousness, for you are a stiff-necked people. Remember, do not forget how you provoked the Lord your God to wrath in the wilderness from that day you departed from the land of Egypt until you came to this place you have been rebellious against God, rebellious against the Lord. Also in Horeb you provoked the Lord to wrath so that the Lord was angry enough with you to have destroyed you when I went up into the mountain to receive the tablets of stone, the tablets of the covenant which the Lord made with you, and then I stayed on the mountain forty days and forty nights. I neither ate bread nor drank water. Then the Lord delivered to me two tablets of stone, written with the finger of God, and on them were all the words which the Lord had spoken to you on the mountain from the midst of the fire in the day of the assembly. And it came to pass at the end of forty days and forty nights that the Lord gave me the two tablets of stone, the tablets of the covenant. Then the Lord said to me, Arise, go down quickly from here, for your people whom you brought out of Egypt have acted corruptly. They have quickly turned aside from the way which I commanded them and have made themselves a molded image. Furthermore, the Lord spoke to me, saying, I have seen this people, and indeed they are a stiff-necked people. Let me alone that I may destroy them and blot out their name from under heaven, and I will make of you a nation mightier and greater than they. So I turned and came down from the mountain, and the mountain burned with fire, and the two tablets of stone of the covenant were in my two hands. And I looked, and behold, you had sinned against the Lord your God, 
had made for yourselves a molded calf. You had turned aside quickly from the way which the Lord had commanded you. Then I took the two tablets and threw them out of my two hands and broke them before your eyes. And I fell down before the Lord, as at the first forty days and forty nights I neither ate bread nor drank water, because of all your sin which you committed in doing wickedly in the sight of the Lord, to provoke him to anger. For I was afraid of the anger and hot displeasure with which the Lord was angry with you to destroy you. But the Lord listened to me at that time also. And the Lord was very angry with Aaron and would have destroyed him. So I prayed for Aaron also at the same time. Then I took your sin, the calf which you had made, and I burned it with fire and crushed it and ground it very small until it was fine as dust, and I threw the dust into the brook that descended from the mountain. Also at Taborah and Massah and Kibroth, Hatava, you provoked the Lord to wrath. Likewise, when the Lord sent you to Kadesh Barnea, saying, Go up and possess the land for which I have given you, you rebelled against the commandment of the Lord your God, and you did not believe him or obey his voice. You have been rebellious against the Lord from the day that I knew you. Not a very stunning resume for the children of Israel. But you know what this told me? The land of promise is based on his grace and honoring his word. Your behavior doesn't obtain it. Your behavior can cause problems and even cause you to lose it, but you cannot get it on your own. You can't even earn it. They didn't. And that phrase, the land flowing with milk and honey, referred to the abundant fertility of the land of Canaan. Of course, God would give them the best. The milk, typically of goats and sheep, associated with abundance. The honey, referred to the syrups made from the dates or the grapes, and the epitome of sweetness, and even more rare was the bee's honey, and considered the choicest of foods. That's what you're holding on to right now. Whatever your prayer is, whatever you're going through, you're holding on to a promise greater than you can imagine. Not because you deserve it. We don't. He's done everything for us on the cross. We don't deserve any more than that. But we're his children, and he loves us, and he wants to bless us. But he's also expecting something in return, loyalty and love. But I saw something interesting. He says, I will send my angel before you to drive out those that are there. But then he asked them also to destroy the inhabitants. So which is it? His angel, most likely Michael, or their actions? Or is it both? See, one of the things I've learned about spiritual warfare, both in actions and deeds and dreams and visions, we have to participate. Don't let anybody tell you that the, that the Lord goes out and does it for you. Show me somewhere in the New Testament that says that you must participate, whether through prayer, intercession. There's a price that has to be paid. It'll never be as great as the one that he paid. But there's action on your part, which comes from your heart, which comes from dedication and love. But this promised land isn't um, ethereal. It's physical. It's a geographic area. Promise to the offspring of Abraham, the eastern side of the Mediterranean Sea. Numbers 34 tells us the location. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Command the children of Israel, say to them, When you come to the land of Canaan, this is the land that shall fall to you as an inheritance, the land of Canaan, to its boundaries. Your southern border shall be from the wilderness of Zin along the border of Edom, and your southern border shall extend eastward to the end of the salt sea. 
Your borders shall turn from the southern side of the ascent of Akrabim. Continue to Zin and be on the south of Kadesh Barnea. Then you shall go to Hazar Adar and continue to Asman. The border shall turn from Asman to the brook of Egypt, and it shall end at the sea. As for the western border, you shall have the great sea for a border. This shall be your western border. And this shall be your northern border from the great sea. You shall mark out your borderline until Mount Hor. From Mount Hor you shall mark out your border to the entrance of Hamath. And then the direction of the border shall be towards Zidad. The border shall proceed to Zephron and shall end at Hazah, Inan. This shall be your northern border. You shall mark off your eastern border from Hazad Inan to to Shepham. The border shall go from Shepham to Riblah on the east side of Ain. The border shall go down to the reach of the eastern side of the sea, Chenereth. And the border shall go along the Jordan and shall end at the Salt Sea. This shall be your land with its surrounding borders. And don't let anybody ever tell you that God did not give this land and did not, did not give Israel and did not give Jerusalem to the Jews. So from the Mediterranean Sea and the Jordan River to the brook Egypt, all the way to the Euphrates. And it didn't yet include the land east of Jordan. So during this time, geographically, the land of the Canaanites and the Amorites are identical. And it created an extraordinary influence as a land bridge between Mesopotamia and Egypt, between the Mediterranean and the Red Sea. We don't have time to go into Mesopotamia and Egypt, but we will, because a lot of what the fallen did in Genesis 6, a lot of what they passed on to the daughters of men and then their children wound up in Mesopotamia wound up in Babylon, wound up in Egypt. Oh, some people will tell you, oh, aliens from another planet came down here and gave them the technology, gave them the knowledge, gave them all the things that are beyond even what we could do today. And I say, well, I've got a better answer that I can take from the Bible. I don't need with fantastic stories about extraterrestrials from another planet. How about extraterrestrials fallen from heaven? Let's go to Genesis 6. Where does the term Canaan come from? Well, according to Genesis 9 and Genesis 10, Canaan was the son of Ham, one of the three sons of Noah. Genesis 10, starting verse 15. So you have the implications of the Hamitic descent of the sons of Canaan, Sidon, Heth, the Jebusites, the Amorites, the Gergesites, the Hivites, the Archites, the Sinites, the Arvidites, the Zemorites, and the Hapanites are all from Canaan, from Ham. This is an influence that spread throughout Egypt, spread throughout Mesopotamia. It's logical to assume, and again, I'm going to have to get into it another time, that the influence of the fallen came through Ham. pretty shocking considering God allowed him to survive the flood. Why? Because he had made a covenant with Noah. So in the Bible, our Judeo-Christian beliefs is of monotheism, the reverence of the one true God. But the pagan religions of Canaan and the other nations around Israel with the worship of many gods, polytheism. So when the Bible speaks of pagan gods, it can sometimes speak of man-made objects and concepts, but I believe those worthless idols are based on demonic spirits, and Deuteronomy 32 talks about these foreign gods being demonic spirits. 
And folks, when you're listening to this, I know we're in 2020, and you may think none of this applies to me. Well, you'd be wrong. You look at our society, we're constantly creating gods, celebrities, politicians, athletes. Man is voracious to worship someone or something except the one true God. Deuteronomy 32, starting verse 16. They provoked him to jealousy with foreign gods. With abominations, they provoked him to anger. They sacrificed to demons, not to God, to gods they did not know, to new gods, new arrivals that your fathers did not fear. Of the rock who begot you, you are unmindful, and you have forgotten the God who fathered you. And when the the Lord saw it, he spurned them because of the provocation of his sons and daughters. And he said, I will hide my face from them. I will see what their end will be, for they are a perverse generation, children in whom is no faith. They have provoked me to jealousy by what is not God. They have moved me to anger by their foolish idols. But I will provoke them to jealousy by those who are not a nation. I will move them to anger by a foolish nation. One of the things that I've always understood from the moment I got saved was a passion for my Heavenly Father and for my Lord and the revulsion of the worship of any false gods or false religions. I think David understood that, Psalm 82, verses 1 and 2. God stands in the congregation of the mighty. He judges among the gods small g, how long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked? Psalm 86, verses 8 through 10, Among the gods there is none like you, O Lord, nor are there any works like your works. All nations whom you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name. You are great and do wondrous things. You alone are God. Psalm 95, verse 3, For the Lord is the great God and the great King above all gods. Psalm 96, verses 4 through 10, For the Lord is great and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the people are idols. But the Lord made the heavens. Honor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Give to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Give to the Lord glory and strength. Give to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. O worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. The world is also firmly established. It shall not be moved. He shall judge the peoples righteously. How much more so should we feel this than David? David was a man after God's own heart, and even with all his behavior, even everything he did, he paid for that, but God still loved him. But David wasn't spirit-filled. David did not have the gift of the cross. He didn't have the gift of salvation. He didn't have the gift of being born again. How much more so with his spirit in us should we feel this way? How much more so should we be offended when they take the Lord's name in vain? How much more so should we be offended when they use the Lord's name as a profanity or wrap it around a profanity or do the things they do? I know he—you know what? His personality is pretty solid, but I get offended. That's my dad they're talking about, and I've had the boldness to tell people, by the way, my father's last name is not Dam. How much more so should we be offended by how Hollywood and the world and those that claim to be whatever they claim to be. i got to watch my tongue here because I'm a little fired up at the moment. Because I have a zeal for my father and my father's house and my Lord. I get righteously indignant. I get offended. Thankfully, he holds me back in public situations. 
But that's what our love should be. We should know who he is. We should understand who he is. We should not want to embarrass him. We should not want to be like the children of Israel. And even though they inherited the promise, and even though he fulfilled his word to them, they still rebelled, and they still to this day, their eyes are blinded, which is why I pray for Israel, and I pray for my Jewish brothers and sisters. I pray for them to understand who the Prince of Peace is, the one whom they pierced. I, 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 I exalt when I watch these. I get excited when I watch these videos of Jews that accept Yeshua as Messiah and when the light goes on in their lives. I'm telling you, as it gets darker, and it's getting darker by the moment, we should stand tall and shine this light, this love, this person Yeshua, Hamashiach, Jesus, the Messiah. But we want the promise. We want to enter in. We want what I'm talking about here. But the catch is, while our behavior doesn't get us the land, our behavior causes us to keep it. There are preconditions for the promise. Numbers 33, starting in verse 50, under a section called Instructions for the Conquest of Canaan. Now the Lord spoke to Moses in the plains of Moab by the Jordan across from Jericho, saying, Speak to the children of Jericho and say to them when you've crossed the Jordan into the land of Canaan, Then you shall drive out all the inhabitants of the land from before you. Destroy all their engraved stones, destroy all their molded images, and demolish all their high places. You shall dispossess the inhabitants of the land and dwell in it, for I have given you the land to possess. And you shall divide the land by lot as an inheritance among your families. To the larger you shall give a larger inheritance, to the smaller you shall give a smaller inheritance. And there everyone's inheritance shall be whatever falls to him by lot. You shall inherit according to the tribes of your fathers. But if you do not drive out the inhabitants of the land from before you, then it shall be those whom you let remain shall be irritants in your eyes and thorns in your sides, and they shall harass you in the land where you dwell. Moreover, it shall be that I will do to you as I thought to do to them. You think that would have motivated them to get it right? Apparently didn't. Lord's speech to Moses, this little uh, dictation for the instructions, was basically telling the Israelites, you better clear the land of all the inhabitants, because in doing so you preserve the worship, the true worship of God, Yahweh, the great I Am. They must drive out and dispossess the same Hebrew term, same verb. Kick them out. Get rid of them. Failure to do so will result in the Israelites being driven from the land instead. And how many times did that happen to them? Part of this, simplistically, to get you to understand it, let's look look beyond the brutality of what he's asking them to do. You can't move into the new way of life of faith and carry that old way of life with you. It's incompatible. You can't be a friend of the world and a friend of God. This inheritance is theirs. But... There's things they must do to keep that inheritance. And they don't do it. I I, I don't totally understand it. But he chose them. They're his. Exterminate the Canaanites and take full possession of the land. Pretty basic to me. I've got a legal transfer for you guys. It's your land. It's your inheritance. I declared it. It's yours. But I need you to clean it out. Because if you don't, it's never going to be clean and you're going to fall prey to the dirt and the filth and the depravity and the sin. 
Boy, doesn't that speak to our lives of being born again, of entering into that promise of salvation? Oh, by the way, you've got to get rid of all those other things. You can't do all those other things. It may be uncomfortable. It may be unpopular. You want to witness to your friends and families, but you can't live like that anymore. You need to get rid of all of that. And if you don't drive out the inhabitants of that old land, you're going to keep living with them. Eradicate them, the Lord says. Eradicate the Canaanites from the land. If the idolatrous, sinful, in my opinion, inspiration and and descendants of the fallen were allowed to live amongst God's people, they'd be a constant source of trouble and temptation. And that's exactly what Israel didn't do. They didn't do it. But is that any different than the church today? We've allowed the world to creep in. We've allowed the kingdom of darkness to creep in. We've allowed the things that God said were revulsive, repulsive and disgusting and sinful and degrading and unacceptable because we want to go along to get along. We don't want to step anybody's toe. I'm seeker-friendly. Don't worry about your sin. Bring it with you. No. How about this? Let's leave your sin at the door. Let's leave your demons outside. Come sit in here. We want to help you. We want to feed you. You know, we will want to get you healed. But those things got to stay. When I was working in the big church with Shelly and then we had our home church, I was blocking them at the door. I was anointing the doors. I was declaring and decreeing the people could come in, but their familiar spirits had to wait outside. The first time I did that in our house, we had a lady that sang in the choir with Deb, and we had befriended her, and she had a lot of problems. Unfortunately, none of us were able to help her with them. Well, when I started to figure out what she was dragging into the house and what was happening after she left, before she came over one day, I anointed the doors and declared and decreed that anything attached to her, any familiar spirit, anything that was bound to her and had authority to be with her had to wait outside. When she came through that door, she was so uncomfortable and she barely stayed a few minutes in our house and had to get out. We have an authority we need to implement. Nobody needs to know you're doing it. You don't need to put up a sign or put on a show, but you have authority you need to activate in your lives. Stop bringing stuff home. Stop allowing things to ride with you. If there's idolatry in your life, if there's any leftover of your previous behavior, get rid of it. That was why when I got saved and got delivered, I had thousands of dollars of worth of, of, of crystals and stones that I had accumulated, that I had, some of which I'd bought at a very cheap price that turned out to be very expensive. I had to get rid of them. I wanted to make them into jewelry. I wanted to keep them in an anointed jar. But I had to get rid of them. You holding on to something from your past? You holding on to something from your before your salvation, before you were saved? Are you holding on to anything that you have brought with you into the land of promise? It can't be there. And God's saying, I'm bringing you to a place of total separation from all people. I took you out of Egypt. I did all this for you. And all I'm asking you to do is don't bring any of your garbage with you. Don't bring any of the gods or the false beliefs with you. Which, by the way, the minute Moses was up on top of the mountain, you talked Aaron into making a golden calf. And Aaron was so weak, he couldn't say no. Get rid of the idols. Get rid of anything that ties back to Satan or the fallen. If it's music, get rid of it. If it's visual, get rid of it. If it's books, whatever it is, if it's a danger to you, if it's a seduction to you, you can't live with it. But now they're getting ready to pass over the Jordan. They're getting ready to enter into the land of promise, which also, by the way, is a land of temptation because there happens to be giants and Nephilim and demonic entities there. 
You know, first time I had that realization as a, a young believer studying the word. Well, hey, hey, Dad, wait a second here. So you gave them this land that you promised to them. You took them out of Egypt. You took them through this long journey. They're finally going to get there, and you go, oh, by the way. I never understood it, but I do now. Even though we don't have to earn it, it's better to work for something when you get it. If you value it, you're going to do it. I have found that when you give people something and there's no effort and there's no requirement, not only do they not cherish it, they resent it and they resent you. So he's saying, just utterly destroy all the remnants of idolatry and, of course, the people with it. Pull down all their high places, all their images, all their pictures, all the altars. Got to go. No ornaments. Don't keep anything of value. Don't give any toys for your children to play with. Destroy them. Burn them. Get rid of them. And any false gods, oh my goodness, can't stay. That seems pretty good deal to me. And if you do so, you get full possession of all this land. You get to keep it. Not a problem. Nobody will bother you. But what did they do? They spared idols. They spared idolaters. They intermingled, intermarried, started worshiping some of those false gods. He even told them, Numbers thirty-three fifty-five: if you do not drive out the inhabitants before you, irritants in your eyes, thorns in your sides, they shall harass you like snakes in the land. That's the way this world is to us today. You ever feel that way? You go out there, it's an irritant. You don't know why you're irritated, but you know, you really know why. We're called to live in a land that belongs to the fallen, the God of this world. And just like the children of Israel, this was our land promised to us. It was stolen. And the church never did what it was supposed to do. The church was supposed to clean it. church was supposed to get out there, preach the word, to tell everybody, get them saved, healed, and delivered, drive out the demonic. Now they got to call people to help them, like me or SRT or whatever. No, why didn't you do this yourself? I, I don't know. Are we that flawed? Or are we that lazy, spiritually lazy? If you don't drive the sin out, the sin will drive you out. If we don't put to death the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes and the pride of life, it's going to be the death to our souls. If you're not faithful in worshiping him, he's going to take issue with that. He tells him in Deuteronomy 7, Conquer them, utterly destroy them, don't make a covenant with them, show them no mercy, don't marry them. Don't give your daughter to their son or, or your son to their daughter. Because if you do, they'll turn your sons away from following me and serve other gods. So the anger of the Lord will be aroused against you and destroy you suddenly. We could apply this to our kids today, can't we? Well, here's how you're going to deal with them. You're going to destroy their altars. You're going to break down their sacred pillars. You're going to cut down their wooden images. You're going to burn their carved images with fire. You're not just going to cut them down. You're going to burn them. For you are a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for himself, a special treasure among all the people on the face of the earth. Because he was faithful to keep his covenant and mercy for a thousand generations for those who love him and keep his commandments. But he will repay those who hate them to their face to destroy them. And he will not be slack with those who hate him. He will repay him to his face. Therefore, keep the commandments. Wow, so much more to cover. I'm going to stop right here. 
so much more. I hope I hope you're getting this. I hope this is explaining it and get you to understand and then applying it to where we are today in the schools, our children in the schools or out in the world or what they watch on TV. It all mocks God. It's all drawing them away to worship other people, worship other gods, follow other religions. All paths lead to God. No, they don't. God created everybody. Well, if that was true, why did he flood a whole planet and only save eight people? Why? Because those weren't his. Are there any people on this earth right now that are not his? I don't know. Let's find out who burns at the end. I know this isn't a happy end of year message. Well, folks, this hasn't been a happy year. 2020 will be some of the worst hindsight we'll we'll have when we get on the other side of it. But maybe we'll learn from it. We wandered from God. We wandered from his righteousness. We wandered from his holiness. We wandered from right relationship with him. We worshiped other gods. We followed other religions. We didn't clean the land. Heck, our churches need to be cleaned. Our pulpits need to be cleaned. Our classrooms need to be cleaned. Our, our, our White House, our politics, they all need to be cleaned. Let's start over. Let's bring down some fire from heaven and start over. What is it going to take? I don't know. But next week, we're going to start talking about who the Canaanite gods were, who they were worshiping. And you'll find out that they're still here today. They're still being worshipped today. And they're coming back. The Greek gods, the Roman gods, the pantheon of gods that came from Phoenicia, that that wound up in Greece, that were worshipped in Babylon and, and wherever, they're all the same. And they're still manipulating mankind. They're still trying to get them to turn their back on their creator. Well, I know I, for one, along with those that I know around me, have drawn a line in the sand and said, No, you shall not pass. 2021 is going to be a time of warfare. If you thought 2021 was going to be comfort, Anybody telling you that's not telling you the truth. It's warfare. And we need to draw a line in the sand. And we need to take a stand. We need to know who our God is. We need to know whose blood washed us clean. We need to know who made us. And we need to decide enough is enough. We need to be like Joshua and Caleb. I don't care how big the giants are. Let's go take them on. Greater is he that is in me than he that's in the world. If God be for me, who can be against me? The creative power, the power that raised Yeshua from the grave resides in me. So let's do it. Let's get it on. Father, I just come to you in the name of your Son. Lord and Savior, Master, Teacher, Brother, Friend. Everything. Take us out of Egypt. And bring us into the land of promise and inspire us to do what we need to do in the land of promise. To live the way you want us to live. Free from the irritants and the things in our eyes and the thorns in our sides and the snakes around us. Give us the strength and the ability to stomp some snakeheads. To cast out some demons. To set the captives free. To live a life that glorifies you. To live a life that exemplifies the word. Let the word be in us. Let us eat it. Let us drink it. Let us sleep it. Let your love flow through us. Let your light shine out of us. Let 2020 be the year that people look back to and realize I am different. I am saved. I am healed. I am delivered. I am a son or a daughter of the king. I am royalty. I am part of a chosen generation. This is our land. This is our planet. And we've had enough of the Canaanite spirit that's still out there. And I pray this in Yeshua's name. Amen. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you. And be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace, give you shalom. Happy New Year. I'm Richard Grund. This has been The Porch on Firefall Talk Radio.
Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, Lil. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.